The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look to verse 9, the seventh beatitude. If you've been with us any length of time at all on Sunday morning, you know we are walking through the Gospel of Matthew. We have made our way to the Sermon on the Mount, such a precious, deep, rich Scripture. Uh, the very words of Jesus that He delivered as one of His first major teachings there in His ministry. It begins with what we call the Beatitudes, these eight declarations of one who is blessed, one who is in the favor of God, having a contentment in life that is not dependent upon the things of life, uh, because of their status before the Lord, because of their favor in the eyes of God, to live a truly blessed life, uh, not a life of materialistic wealth and health, although that is a blessing in this life, uh, but the greater blessing, even through times of sickness, even through times of poverty, is to have a blessing that's from above, a blessing that we equate with the favor of God. Uh, that is what Jesus is dealing with here. And as we've looked to these descriptions, I have begged of you not to think that you in and of yourself can become what Jesus is speaking of here. That this beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, really the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, is not about a roadmap to the kingdom. It's not revealing to us what we, what we must do in and of ourselves in order to make ourselves right before God. Too many people look to the Scripture, the teaching of Jesus, really the Scripture in its whole as that. But man, if I just can do this and do this a little better in my life, I'm going to earn my, my spot in heaven, going to earn uh, my favor before God. That's not at all what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is showing us you don't measure up. The whole Sermon on the Mount is really a heart examination, an EKG to say and show your heart's messed up. And the problem is sin within your heart. And you will never be what God requires of you. But thank God for His grace, and thank God that Jesus goes from this Sermon on the Mount, as we'll see in the months that lie ahead before we get to the crucifixion. He gives His life a ransom for our sins. And in Him, we can be saved and forgiven and redeemed and be given a new heart. And then in Christ, for those of us who are in Christ this morning, we can read this and say, God, this is what You have made of me as Your child. This is what you're working in my life. You've saved me. You've given me a new heart. You've given me the Holy Spirit. Now as a believer with a new heart, with the Holy Spirit, these are the really correlated with the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that define what it is to truly know Christ, to truly be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, let's read through them all as we are accustomed to doing and then go back to the beatitude. We're going to focus on verse 9, the seventh beatitude this morning. Matthew 5 and verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he, that being Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Back to verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know, out of all the Beatitudes, this Beatitude probably stands out as the most agreeable to any and everyone on planet Earth. Uh, to think of peace and the desire that every person has for peace, even the desire of, of the end of this beatitude to be called the sons of God, children of God, um, the, the ones who are in the, the, a relationship with God and the image of, of God our Creator. Those are sort of universal desires. Uh, even the beauty pageant contestant knows the answer to the question, world peace. We, we want world peace. That is what we would strive after and desire, not only as we think of the world as a whole, but even individually in your life and my life, uh, to live a life of peace. And the word that they would have in mind in a Hebrew background, as you go even into the Hebrew, it's that Hebrew word shalom. Uh, you've probably heard that word. It's the greeting even that was used in the Hebrew culture, even to this day of, of as we would say hello and, and farewell, goodbye. They, they would say shalom. And, and that word peace in the Hebrew mindset, it means more than just an absence of war. It means more than just an absence of conflict and turmoil. Uh, we could think of the absence of those things as being just sort of a neutral condition, a neutral setting. Shalom speaks to the positive side of things in relation even to God. Uh, a peace that is upon us and in our lives because we are in the favor of God. It really speaks to the goodness that God desires being present in our life. That There is the, the wholeness and well-being in, in life that even God is desiring to bring within our lives, even if it's not fully manifested in the here and now, it ultimately will be in the new heaven and new earth. But the, the, the word shalom, don't, don't just think absence of conflict. Think, think blessing of God. Think favor of God. Think goodness of God. A, a life of well-being, of, of wholeness, of, of meaning, of, of purpose. And so to seek shalom in your life would, would mean to seek a God-honoring, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting sort of, of living where there is a, a great marriage if you're married, a great family if there's a, a, a kids involved where you're raising your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, a, a, a divine favor, a divine blessing, a divine goodness over, over all that you are, over all that you're doing. Shalom, peace. It's what we all ultimately desire. Shalom. We, we desire, we long for peace. If you're like me as you read through the Beatitudes, even when I read through in preparation of beginning this, this little mini-series in, in the Gospel of Matthew on the Beatitudes, I read through and I, I felt a much greater weight as I read through all the other Beatitudes more so than when I read this one. Because of our desire and the agreeable nature, I think, of peace, we kind of are very quick to read this and think, oh, well, isn't that lovely? Isn't that nice? And then move on without much thought, without really the weight of what's being written here and said here, actually getting down to the core of our heart, as we might, as I would read, blessed are those who mourn. And that, that has a way of just you feel the weight of it. Blessed are those who 
hunger and thirst for righteousness. And there's a, there's a gravitas to that. There's a weight to it that just, in my heart at least, draws me to, to, to want to look deeper. And I read this, Blessed are the peacemakers, and as a middle child who loves stirring the pot, <laughs> I kind of want to quickly move on and go to blessed are those who are persecuted. And as I dove deeper into the study of these Beatitudes, and as I knew beforehand, just never really thought, as I'm reading through them, there is a progression to these Beatitudes. You realize that, right? It begins with the fundamentals of coming to Christ, and it, it builds in these deeper characteristics of one who is right in the Lord, one who's given this new life, this new heart in the Lord, and, and they, they are built upon each other, almost as rungs of a ladder, and this stands at the pinnacle. This stands at the, the height of it. The last beatitude is not so much a characteristic of a kingdom citizen as much as it is uh, a call to endure the persecution you'll face because of being a kingdom citizen peacemaking, being a peacemaker, the, the end goal that God is at work in our lives as He makes us a, a, a merciful people who have received mercy, as He makes of us a, a righteous people who have been given righteousness and therefore hunger and thirst for righteousness, the, the, the one who is meek even before that, understanding their sin uh, and their, their poverty of spiritual, standing before God and grieving, lamenting, mourning over it, coming to a place of meekness before the Lord and before others, all of those are leading up to this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, the, the children of God, the offspring of God himself. A peacemaker, one who is actively at work to bring about peace. It, it's more than just pacifism. Pacifism? Candace will correct me on that one later. It's more than just being a pacifist. It's more than just stepping back and saying, well, I'm not going to get involved in anything, and I'm just going to be Switzerland. I'm going to keep to myself in the middle of whatever is going on so, so that hopefully I won't be affected by it and I'm not going to have an effect on anything else that's bad and going on around me. No, that is not being a peacemaker. Being a peacemaker is, is being involved in hard things. It, it, it's actually being at work in, in the mess that is around us and even the mess that is within us to to produce peace, to bring about peace, shalom. It's definitely not being the antagonist or the pot stirrer. That's what I think of as the opposite of the peacemaker, the one that, that gets involved in, in things in order to just stir the pot and grab the popcorn and step back and watch the show. Uh, that is not at all being a peacemaker. That is what we often enjoy, especially if you are a middle child. I, I understand that well and am told that often. But that's, that's not peacemaking. Peacemaking is getting involved in, in, in what God has involved you in, the relationships that are around you, the, the context of church family will apply it in a moment, the context of even others and their relationship to God will apply it in just a moment, in order to bring about peace, shalom, the goodness of God manifested in whatever situation, whatever relationship it is that God is, is calling you to reflect peace in. So I want to give you some thoughts about being a peacemaker. Three, three truths about peacemakers. First, realize peacemakers must first have peace with God. Peacemakers must first have the peace of God abiding in their hearts. And they must know they are at peace before there is any hope 
of them actually bringing about peace in something outside of them that they're getting involved in. Peacemakers must first have peace with God. And the, the beauty of it all is God, God offers this peace to every one of us. He says in John 14 and verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Lest your let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why? Because God gives peace. Jesus says, I will give peace to those who are mine. John 16 and verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. It says, for it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And it says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Over nine times in the Bible, God is called the God of peace. God is the author of peace. God has called us to peace. You realize by nature, because of sin, Every person is not at peace with God. You were born in sin. You were born in enmity with God, the Bible says. We were uh, enemies of the Lord because of the sin and the broken world to which we belong. We were in enmity with God, but God in His grace and mercy made a way for us to be made at peace with Him. I, I... I know many of you know this peace, but I would imagine there may be some in here who do not. You're, you're, you're looking and longing for peace in the midst of this life, in the midst of the turmoil of even your inner being and your heart, because you know you're a sinner. You, you know that you are not right. You know that you are not what you ought to be, and you're seeking and you're longing for peace, and that may even be what brought you here this morning, because you're searching for peace that is actually peace that brings true and lasting peace. Can I tell you, the only place you will find peace is what, in what God has done for you in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you, you've, got that, you've got that lack of peace in your heart as a grace that God has given so that you may know you're not what you ought to be. Things aren't right. And it's meant to lead you to conviction to lead you to see God has done it all through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus went to Calvary and died upon a cross that by the shedding of His blood, we may have our sins forgiven. That the problem of our heart might be fixed. The greatest true problem of our heart, the problem of sin, of corruption within us, it can be fixed. We can be made at peace with God, reconciled to Holy God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Ephesians 2.14 says of Jesus, He Himself is our peace. If you don't know the peace of God inside your heart, that's the greatest need you have this morning. Before you can ever think of, of working peace in the lives of others and in the situations uh, around your life and the, the relationships of your life, before you'll ever have a true, lasting peace in all of those arenas, you first have to have peace within your heart. It reminds me even of John's words in First John of, of love, that, that if you love the brethren, it's an evidence you truly have the love of God abiding in you. And if you don't love the brethren, it's a strong evidence you don't have the love of God abiding in you. How can you give a love you haven't first received of God? How can you extend a peace into the lives of, of others that you yourself have first not received? 
Now, many of you have been on an air flight before. And you get on board and you sit down in your seat that they assign you or wherever you end up sitting. And, and you, you, you have the flight attendant that comes into the aisle and she does all her emergency notifications going through the whole spill. And they often say in case of an, uh, an air emergency, the, the um, oxygen masks will, will descend from the, the cabin storage above. And what do they always tell you? Make sure you put your own mask on first and tightly fasten it before you assist the person beside you. And why do they tell you that? Because in the emergency situation, many, especially if it's a loved one, you, you first try to help them out, but they don't want you as you're trying to assist another person passing out from lack of oxygen. And what a great picture for us. You're not able to help another person with peace. You're not able to bring a true peace in the midst of other situations if you yourself first haven't abided in the peace of God, haven't received the peace of God in your heart. So many people that get involved in in other situations do so without the peace of God, and all they do is cause greater turmoil. All they do is cause greater conflict because there is no peace of God within their heart guiding and directing them. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you must first have the peace of God within your own heart. Realize, secondly, peacemakers strive to make peace between people. Common sense application here. Peacemakers strive to be peacemakers. When when conflict arises around them, they don't withdraw in self-protection and self-preservation. They don't stir the pot and watch the show. That when turmoil and conflict arises around them, that God has placed them in the the midst of, they seek to bring peace. To bring the goodness of God into the situation, the relationship, the problem. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Pursue peace with all men. Pursue peace with all men, all people, and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Romans chapter 12 and verse 17 and 18, repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And then he says, if it is possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit through Paul put that little exception there. Sometimes some people are so bent on on vengeance and destruction that it is not possible to live at peace with them. But as much as depends upon you, as much as you can help it, if it's at all possible, live peaceably with all men. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Meaning that 
as you've received this peace of God, you've then made it peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, that compels you to live in that peace and let that peace flow out of you into your relationships and circumstances and situations that you face that don't have that peace. Let the peace of God rule. Not just be in the corner of your heart. Let it rule over your heart. God has called you to live at peace with one another, and he's also called you to work at helping others live at peace with one another. The the Christians ought not to be the pot stirrers. The Christians ought to be the ones who bring the goodness of God into even the worst of worst situations, who when they arise and when they speak and when they act, it brings about peace, brings about shalom. God is the God of peace who delights in peace, and Satan is actually the one who is at work in opposition. There was a quote from Thomas Watson that I, that I heard that puts it so well. Satan kindles the fire of contention in men's hearts and then stands in, and warms himself at that fire. Satan is the one who kindles the fire. He puts the fuel. He he lights the match. He takes the air that's needed to to kindle the flame and he gets it raging and and the, the contention within a believer's life, a believer's family, a believer's marriage, a believer's church. He he gets it ignited and then he stands and he warms himself at the fire. What a picture. What imagery. We as the children of God, citizens of the kingdom, are not called to stand back and warm ourselves at the fire. We're called to extinguish the flame. We're called to, called to come into a situation, relationship of war, of battle, of contention. And through our being there, through our speaking, through our acting, even especially through our suffering, bring about Peace in the midst of that. We must be willing to get our hands dirty. It's a whole lot easier to just watch chaos, to watch conflict, and to stay out of it than it is to get in the middle of it, knowing that we may be injured in the midst of it. Because hear me, you, you will be injured. There will be sacrifice. We, we often, some people take the, the flight path of, of conflict. I'm going to wash my hands of it, step away from it, not get involved with it because it may, it may interfere with my life. And we're all about self-preservation. We're all about self-ambition, self-fulfillment. And there's no care or compassion of, of Christ that's guiding and directing our heart. We're not called to step back and step away. We're called to step into even the worst of situations as the peacemakers. We must be willing to get our hands dirty. We must be willing to suffer unjustly. To suffer for things that we did not deserve. That we, 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 we haven't brought about. That, that we're receiving a right suffering. It's really the suffering. Honestly, I think a great way to think of it is it's the suffering that you were enduring for the sake of somebody in the conflict. That, that to really be a peacemaker means you... You were moved by compassion to put yourself in the middle of the situation where you know you will likely be hurt from both sides. And there's no greater example that we have of this than Jesus Christ himself, who is our utmost example. Even as he brings peace to us, peace with God, what does he do? 
He is crucified upon a cross where He is receiving mockery and beating and crucifixion from man. And where He is also receiving an outpouring of divine wrath against sinners from the Father. He, he places Himself in the middle as the mediator and He takes the blows from both sides in order to bring about peace between God and man. And so as you think about being a peacemaker, it's not all joy and easygoing uh, work. It's actually dirty work, and it's actually a call to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, which leads you up a hill called Calvary to be crucified, to receive even the blows from both sides of the parties that you're seeking to, to bring to peace. It's not a glorious work. There's a glorious reward in the end. But it's not a glorious work. It's a hard work. It's a call to being peacemakers. We must be willing to return good for evil. That when others do wrong us, we don't wrong back. That's what often happens when somebody gets involved as a a mediator in a relationship. They get hurt and hurt people hurt. They hurt back and it only gets worse. No, to be a peacemaker, you must be willing to absorb the wrong suffering that is done to you, the hurt that comes upon you. Entrust vengeance to the Lord, God will repay, and actually seek by the grace of God a peaceful outcome as you absorb what others may have retaliated having received. You must speak the truth in love. It doesn't call for us to be cowardly and back away from what is right. No, we must stand upon what is right or there will be no true peace. You must stand upon the truth of God's Word, but we don't do so belligerent, uh, with belligerence. We don't do so with, with an arrogance. We do so in humility and brokenness, even with the evidence of being, being hurt and not hurting back. That, that's speaking louder than anything to validate our heart of love behind what we're declaring. We speak the truth. But we speak it in, in love. We, we must be willing to get our hands dirty. We must be willing to, to suffer unjustly. We must be willing to return good for evil. We must be willing to speak the truth in love. And then we must have patience and trusting it all to the Lord. It, it doesn't, peace doesn't come easily. And peace doesn't happen overnight usually. Usually it takes time. It takes time filled with suffering. Time filled with experiencing wrongdoing and not returning wrongdoing for wrongdoing, but returning good for wrongdoing. It takes time of speaking the truth in love and in patience and trusting that God's Word will have its effect, that God's Word will not return void. Those who have received the peace of God are to strive to live at peace with those around them and work for peace with those who are at discord. One final, third, last application I want to bring. Third, realize peacemakers also strive to make peace between people and God. Not just between people and people, not just between yourself and people, but really the most important responsibility of being a peacemaker is that we all as believers, as the children of God, have received this duty, this responsibility to be the ones here who are at work bringing peace between God and man, between God and people. What a, what a weighty privilege and responsibility we have. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18-21. through 21. Write that verse down and read these words often. 2 Corinthians 5, 
18 through 21. Now all things are of God who has reconciled uh, us to himself through Jesus Christ. So, So God's done that work of getting us peace, making us at peace with himself. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only has He given us this peace, He doesn't just give us this peace and bring us to be with Him in heaven. He could have done that. No, He leaves us in a broken, fallen world. Why? Because He then commits to us this ministry of reconciliation. This ministry of of reconciling two parties that were at enmity against one another. God and mankind of bringing peace into that relationship. God has given to us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and is committed to us the word of reconciliation, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. Think about the strength of that statement for a moment. We are ambassadors for God, That includes you and me. This is not for pastors only. This is for you as a child of God, as a believer, as salt, as light, as a witness, wherever you go, wherever he's placed you. God has sent you as his ambassador, and God is making his plea through you, through you to a lost and dying world. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The greatest responsibility you have as a peacemaker is helping people come to know peace with their God and creator. How good of a job are you doing at that? Is God really making his plea through you? Through all of your interactions with everybody you come in with in your daily life? Are you being a peacemaker? Not just striving to make peace between people, but understanding the greatest responsibility you have as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a peacemaker who's been given the peace of God, now God making His plea through you to all people, be reconciled to God. Are you at work helping people come to peace at God? You ought to be. You should be. That's the greatest privilege and greatest responsibility that you have. And God's not a foolish, ignorant God. He has saved you and He's called you to where you are to be salt and to be light. You will make a plea to people that I will never need or see in the daily life that I live. Wherever you go, whether that's school as a teacher or whether that's working in construction or whether that is wherever God has placed you, a student in school, God, if you're a believer, you're called to be a peacemaker, is making a plea through you, given to you this ministry of reconciliation where by the way that you act, by the way that you speak, by the way that you're called to compassion and kindness and generosity, by the way, better yet, you're called to be Uh, um, uh, pure in heart and merciful and called to be righteous and called to to be meek. All of these leading up to this, your, your, your ultimate end is to be a peacemaker. To bring peace between sinful man and holy God. If you think of the UN peacekeepers even and what they do going into places of conflict and war and they come in to to establish peace and and help two warring parties in conflict to to keep the peace. We, in a way, in a fashion, are 
are just that. Not only do we try to keep peace, but we even, even in a more active way, are, are trying to make peace between warring parties, between man who is rebelled against God, who's living in blindness and deceit and darkness. We are called the light of the gospel to shine light. The light of the gospel to bring peace. It's not a physical warfare we fight. Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and high places. And the chapter goes on to, to speak of the spiritual armor that we clothe ourselves in, our waists fastened, fastened with the belt of truth. We must speak the truth, the truth of God. Our chests guarded with the breastplate of righteousness, that truth better make a difference in our life. With one hand, in one hand, we have a, a shield of faith that extinguishes the fiery darts of the devil. We, ex- we stand against what devil, the devil tempts us to and attacks us uh, with by the shield of faith within our hands. Upon our head sits the helmet of salvation that, that guards us and keeps our mind the salvation that God has given to us. And the other hand is what? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We have the shield of faith in one hand, the sword of the Spirit in the other, the source of our tr- of truth, um, the means by which we can make the proclamations of God uh, to a culture around us. And then on our feet, we often read over this one when we even study the armor that's listed here. Upon our feet. What, what is upon our feet? What are these shoes of readiness? He says it's the gospel of peace. Gospel of peace is the means by which we move forward. That there is a God who gave Christ to redeem sinners, to make peace with sinful man, and that we have now been been given this gospel. You have been entrusted with this gospel. You have the power of eternal life in in the gospel. If you've believed it and received it, you're a, a child of God and saved and been given that eternal life, and you now have the the keys to eternal life, the keys to heaven and hell, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of peace. Have you shared it with anybody? Have you tried to use the power of the gospel to, to bring peace into a person's life before so that they in their blindness and they in their deceit, they in their sin before holy God can come to understand what Jesus did for them upon that cross and know that by their repentance and belief in Him that they can be reconciled? That's not just for preachers to preach. It's for every one of us in every moment of our life to be about the work of, of God speaking that through us, of God making that plea through us, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Peacemakers are striving to make peace between people and God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of we close, we have a song of invitation. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of inspection within our own hearts and lives. I want you to ask yourself, first of all, most importantly, do I have peace from God? Are, are you right now at peace with God? All who know Christ can say, absolutely I am, because He gave His life for me at Calvary. 
by his blood I have been washed clean. I'm at peace. I hope you have that peace. And if you don't, you need to get that settled this morning, first and foremost, above all else. For all of us who have that peace, the question upon us is, how am I doing at peacemaking? Am I really bringing peace into the situations, the relationships, the lives of people that are around me? Am I really striving in all that I am to bring peace between sinful man, sinful people, lost people that God's placed around me, bringing them to know Christ as Lord and as Savior? I want to read a prayer. It's been attributed to um, Francis of Assisi, but it's really popularized through the 20th century, even put to music. Um, may not be actually his words, but they are powerful words nonetheless. A prayer for peace. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Blessed are the peacekeepers, for they shall be called sons of God. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we pray you would take this beatitude and ingrain it upon our hearts. Lord, our new hearts, our hearts in Christ, that as we leave here, we would be ruled by the peace of Christ. Lord, that peace between us and you that has been accomplished through Jesus would have full power to bring comfort, to bring strength into whatever situation it is we're going through, that we would leave here resting in Christ, resting and trusting in you. That, Lord, you would help us to bring peace into all we go about, all that we do, and all the week that lies ahead of us, even this week, in every situation. We would be peacemakers. Lord, every lost person we see, that we would have a heart passion to see them come to know you, that we would be willing to step out of our comfort zone, that we would be willing even to suffer persecution in order to proclaim that message you make through us. Be reconciled to God. 